Well, once again, we are going to be in Luke chapter 8 this morning. Uh, there really are no two ways about it. This is a pretty stunning chapter. If you were around last time, you'll remember, hopefully, how Jesus demonstrated his authority in the face of a pretty violent storm. Remember, he stands up, rebukes the wind and the raging waters, and in response to the command that he brought, the storm immediately stops, everything is calm. This week's story dare I say, is potentially even more incredible. And, as if that's not enough, next time, if you come along, we're going to see Jesus raising a girl from the dead and healing someone else from a long-standing illness. Now, straight after the calming of the storm, which we looked at last week, if you remember, we, we find the disciples asking one another, who is this man. Who is this man? And that's the question that I think Luke wants us to answer as we reflect on these remarkable stories. Who is Jesus? At the end of the day, Luke is wanting all of us to see that Jesus is none other than the Son of God with authority over absolutely everything, whether it's the forces of nature or evil or sickness or death. He's the Lord. He is sovereign over all. Now, as and when we get that clear in our minds, really the next question we have to ask is whether we believe that what Jesus did then, he can still do today. If you like, step one is coming to a right understanding of who Jesus is. Step two is applying all of that to our lives in the here and now, because Jesus is still very much in the business of changing people's lives. He wants us to be transformed by his sovereign power too. Now, the passage we come to today gives us further insight into who Jesus is and, importantly, what he can do in our lives today. We're going to pick it up, Luke chapter 8, starting the story in verse 26. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. But Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. That happened 
to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. And so Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting right there at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. And so Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons, begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to ask you that you would powerfully speak and work in our lives as we unpack this story. I want to pray you protect us from a wave of fear engulfing us and instead cause us to wonder all the more at your power and your authority. I want to pray, Jesus, that where the enemy would look to distract and prevent us from hearing and receiving you, I want to pray you'd thwart his attempts. I want to pray you'd speak through me. Use me, please. Would you unblock our ears? Would you open our minds to hear and receive truth? So, Lord Jesus, you would change us just as you changed this man. Amen. Amen. I want to unpack what this story shows us about Jesus under four main headings. Here's the first one. Jesus can cure. What can Jesus do? He can cure. That's the testimony of the eyewitnesses here in verse 36 who had seen firsthand what had happened and we read, they told the others how the demon-possessed man had been cured. The contrast is pretty staggering, isn't it? This this demonized man who had been homeless and naked, living in the cemetery, unable to be shackled or controlled, ends up sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, completely in his right mind. I think there are two things we need to note here. First of all, the reality and the seriousness of spiritual warfare. The Bible tells us that Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the devil, and he did that by proclaiming his kingdom of love and light 
and truth, and by demonstrating his sovereign kingly authority over all the forces of the evil one. Predictably, the powers of darkness did everything they could to resist this declaration and demonstration of his sovereign control. You see it right at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, where, if you remember, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, and he is severely tempted by the devil for 40 days. It's like the devil is trying to stop the ministry of Jesus even before it starts. He's challenging Jesus' authority. He's seeking to reduce him to the level of sinful humanity. And despite failing to do so, he keeps on working to undermine Jesus. So Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the world to declare the coming of his kingdom of light. And the devil and all the powers of darkness do everything in their power to thwart him. They still do. Nothing has changed. People nowadays dismiss this and say, well, of course we can't believe in that kind of stuff today. But it's pretty unavoidable in this passage. We see Jesus meeting the forces of evil head on. The demons knew it, Jesus knew it, and if we're wise, we should too. We really mustn't allow our scientific or rational view of life to discredit the reality of supernatural activity. Just because we can't necessarily see it with our eyes or because we don't like the thought of it, doesn't mean that the devil and his demonic forces aren't real. You know, I've been in some cultures, some parts of the world, where they're way more obvious and easily recognized. But although they are more hidden in our culture, they are every bit as real. Listen, if we ignore the need for spiritual warfare, the enemy gains the upper hand because we are unaware of what he's doing, and so he's free to carry on. We must wake up to his schemes. Having said that, we mustn't swing too far the other way and develop an unhealthy preoccupation or fascination with the powers of darkness. Now, I think sometimes overzealous Christians see demons in everything, and that's a very dangerous trap to fall into because it gives the devil a way higher profile than he should have. If we do that, we offer the enemy an opportunity to cripple us with fear by shifting our focus away from the power and victory of God. We mustn't deny the reality of the devil and the powers of darkness. We mustn't fixate on them either. Jesus himself didn't seem to go looking for demons. But wherever he went, they seemed to react to his presence. And that's what we see in this passage. As soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, having sailed across the lake, he's confronted with this demonized man who immediately starts shrieking at him. Now, just by way of an aside, I think it's probably important to understand 
a little bit of how demons operate, what they do. For starters, demons can sometimes tempt us. I certainly don't think all or even most temptation is demon-induced, but they can sometimes tempt us. For what it's worth, I personally tried to avoid watching certain female pop singers on TV, partly because of their dubious musical ability, but also because there can, I think, be seducing spirits at work which just aren't helpful to be exposed to. Demons can sometimes tempt us. Demons can also oppose and attack us. Often when we're sharing our faith or speaking up for righteousness and truth, demons can behind the scenes be stirring up opposition so people don't respond well to what we're saying. Now in these first two instances, we simply need to submit to God and keep on resisting the devil. And what we see in this story today in Luke is that demons also sometimes need to be cast out. This passage clearly shows the possibility of an individual being inhabited by demons. It's not that people are completely taken over, it's more a case of their personality in some way being affected. Let me give you some examples. Over the years, I've ministered to a number of people who have had deep-seated problems of rejection or self-pity that a demon has latched onto. It doesn't mean that every aspect of their life is affected. It's not like the demon suddenly controls everything about them. It simply means that they're likely to experience deep, almost uncontrollable feelings of rejection or self-pity, regardless of whether the situation calls for it. Minister to a number of people like that, seeing Jesus set them free. In a similar way, attitudes like bitterness, or unforgiveness, or anger, can also give demons a foothold in a person's life. Again, I've seen giving strongholds of resentment, leading to thoughts of murder or hatred or depression, sometimes even suicide. Again, personally, I've seen Jesus set people free from that. People can also open themselves to demonic powers by dabbling with spiritism or tarot cards or seances or the use of Ouija boards or other occult practices. I've got to tell you, that is opening the door to the forces of evil. And I warn you this morning not to have anything to do with it. You can think it's okay to play around with this stuff as though it doesn't really matter. You may not take it seriously, but the devil will. Don't do it have nothing to do with the forces of evil. Luke couldn't be clear on this. He wants us to see the reality and the seriousness of spiritual warfare. Listen, whenever we look to advance God's kingdom, we can expect some kind of 
opposition. There's a spiritual reality that we are exposed to here. It's also important to note that although it is a battle, it's not a conflict between two equal kingdoms or two equal powers. What we see again and again through the Gospels is the total supremacy and power of Jesus to overcome the works of the enemy by healing the sick and casting out demons. And so, although this story exposes us to the reality of demonization, the great emphasis in Luke, here and elsewhere, is on Jesus' authority over everything. Jesus can cure. Jesus can deliver. How does he do it? Look at verse 29. Almost takes it for granted that Jesus commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. And so if you ask the question, well, how did Jesus change? How did Jesus transform this man's life? If you've been paying attention as we've been working week by week through the book of Luke, you should know the answer by now. It is the answer we've seen over and over and over and over again in this gospel. He did it by his word. He commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The divine nature of Christ is demonstrated clearly by the divine power of his word. There's no struggle here. Jesus, with a word of authority, commands the demons to leave. And what's their response? They're powerless and terrified. They recognize at once his authority. Now, that's the biblical perspective on the power of Jesus. Jesus is able to cure by his word. He is the sovereign Lord, and the power of God still rests today in the Word of God and in the name of the Son of God. We still see people healed and delivered today by the power of God's Word and the power of the name of Jesus. What can Jesus do? He can cure. Second thing we see here is He can control. He can control. Clearly, Luke wants us to be in no doubt about the intensity of the problem here. And we look again at verse 29. This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. It's like the people knew they couldn't cure this man, and so they tried desperately to control him. But they couldn't even do that. They placed him under guard. He managed to escape. They put him in chains and shackles. He simply broke them. Human resources were at an end. That they were powerless to do anything about this situation. You see, this man was given superhuman strength by the demons. And lest any of you are sitting there thinking, well, that sounds pretty exciting. I'd like some superhuman strength. You need to understand the superhuman strength of evil is always and everywhere destructive. 
We see it all the time on an international scale with the rise of wicked regimes that are hell-bent on destruction. We see it in our nation. We see it on a local scale. We see it on a personal level in our own lives where we struggle at times to control the effects of sin. We like to pretend otherwise, but really no one can predict where a pathway of sin and evil will eventually lead. And we're fools if we don't realize that. The person who's addicted to drink or drugs or porn or gambling or any other form of self-harm, they never meant to get to the stage where these things had a hold over them. They thought they could control what was happening in their lives. But what we're given in this story is a picture of what goes on in our lives if we dabble with sin. Ultimately, we can't control the effects of evil. We say, oh, well, I'll only experiment a bit. Listen, I I can stop whenever I want. I'm still in control. But before we know where we are, we've opened ourselves up to the power of evil and given it a hold over us. Now, we need to recognize this. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean we are removed from the effects and power of evil. We are protected by Christ, so long as we're yielding, submitting to Christ and trusting Him. What's more, He's given us, He's clothed us, He's filled us with His Holy Spirit, who gives us the power we need to resist the enemy and say no to temptation. But it's sheer craziness to go up to our enemy, who's described elsewhere in the Bible as being like a roaring lion, seeking out people to devour. It is craziness to go up to him and effectively place our head into his mouth and pray for God to protect us. That's sheer stupidity. There is a very real warning here. But again, the real emphasis is on Christ's power. He can control where nobody else can. Notice the demons don't question his power for a moment. I mean, look what they say to him. Verse 31, the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit, not to send them into hell. Demons don't question for one moment that Jesus has all authority. Only ignorant human beings do that that these demons know the Lord when they see him. They plead for mercy. Uh, Luke tells us that Jesus gave them permission to enter a herd of pigs. Verse 33, the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Now, what's that telling us? I think it's telling us that evil is destined for destruction, but at the same time, it will always destroy everything it can on the way. It is senselessly destructive. 
And so it takes out a whole herd of pigs, just as it had previously attempted to take out this man. Now, I don't know. Maybe right now, you are inwardly taking issue with Jesus allowing this herd of pigs to be destroyed. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe some of you are thinking, why did he allow that? But if you think about it, Really, it's only vegetarians who have any kind of leg to stand on here, because far larger numbers of pigs are slaughtered every day to keep the UK in bacon and pork. So, if you're a vegetarian, we can talk some more later. If you're not, then you can argue no longer. Regardless of that, please don't get distracted, although I may just have distracted you, please don't get distracted from the main point here. Once again, we're confronted with the total authority and power of Christ. That's the point. And so we've learned that Jesus can cure, we've learned that He can control Third thing we see is he can also confront. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting right there at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Now, you'd have thought people would be really grateful to Jesus. I mean, he had dealt with one of their big social problems. They couldn't control this man. Jesus had dealt with a problem. What's more, he had transformed the life of this man in the process. But instead of thanking him, they were afraid. It is expressed even more strongly in verse 37. All the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. See, they were far more at home with a demonized man than they were with the power of God to cure and restore and save. And that's what the human heart is like, isn't it? It's an amazing thing that people will give money to charity They'll do their bit to help the needy, but they won't come to terms with a Christ or a gospel that can actually transform people's lives. There are plenty of people who will look after the sick, who will champion the human rights of the oppressed, who will do their bit to help the victims in our society, and of course, all of that we can agree with. But they'll never ever look at the change that Jesus Christ can make in people's lives. Because they're afraid. They're afraid that he might change them. And I think we can identify with that, can't we? Many people refuse Christ for fear of the changes he'll want to make to their lives. And I think many of us as Christians refuse to allow him to make the changes he wants to make to our lives because we're afraid as well. I believe right now, Jesus wants to confront some of that fear and ask you, 
Who is the Lord? Who's the Lord? You or me? Don't allow your fear, your fear over your reputation, your popularity, what might happen to your career, what might happen to your finances, how your family or your friends might respond. Don't allow your fear to prevent you from obeying God, to prevent him from changing you. Jesus confronts our fear. He also confronts our greed. Mark tells us in his version of these events that this herd of pigs was about 2,000 in number. Now, obviously, that represented a large amount of capital and potential food. And the people are saying, this is too big a price to pay for this man's salvation. What right have you got to upset our prophet? Now, we can see this in our society, in the people who exploit others for money. But again, I think there's a level at which we're all affected in some way by this. We're happy for Christ to land on our shore with all he has to give us, but we don't want him to cost us anything. We don't want him to disrupt our lifestyle. We're really willing to prioritize meeting with the church on a Sunday and committing to a life group and gathering to pray. Are we really willing to give sacrificially to the church or is that just too demanding? It's like, I don't really want Jesus to cause any discomfort or embarrassment because that would be inconvenient to me. I mean, if I really allow Christ to be Lord in my life, then there's a whole lot I'd have to change. He might demand that I lose some of my pigs. But we need to recognize that there's something else that Jesus can do. He can confront, but look at the second half of verse 37. So Jesus returned to the boat and left crossing back to the other side of the lake. He can also withdraw. I don't think there is a sadder verse in the whole Gospel of Luke. He can withdraw. If you resist Jesus, if for whatever reason you won't allow him to be Lord in your life because you're afraid or because you want to hold on to your pigs, whatever that might look like in your life. Jesus can withdraw. Jesus will effectively climb back into the boat and leave. He won't be there begging on his knees for you to give him another chance to be Lord of your life. He is the Lord. And if you choose not to recognize that, He'll simply get into the boat and go. If you resist him, you run the very real risk of him withdrawing and leaving you. If that's where you're at this morning, 
Maybe you're on the brink of doing it. Please, come to your senses before it's too late. It's like some of you are being offered a lifeline right now. Grab hold of it. Don't let it go. I can't give you any guarantees that there'll be another one. Okay, one last thing. Jesus can cure, he can control, he can confront, and fourthly, he can commission. Verse 38, the man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. Now, it's a curious irony that people ask Jesus to leave, and he complies. But as he's leaving, this restored man begs to stay with Jesus, and he refuses. You know, a request refused is often a great test of discipleship, isn't it? Now, some of us If you're tempted to give up, throw in the towel when that happens. But you see, for the person who has genuinely received Jesus, the person who's genuinely made Him Lord of their lives, they are compelled to obey Him. So when Jesus says to this man, no, it's not right for you to come with me, I want you to stay where you are, what's happened to him means he's got to obey what the Lord says. I mean, after what Jesus has done in his life, why wouldn't he? We bring all sorts of requests to God. Lord, take this away. Lord, change that. Lord, give me this opportunity. Lord, open that door. And he may say to us, no, it's not right for you. Or, it's not right for you yet. How do you react? Some of us think of giving up when that happens. I I know, I've felt that at times. I think we've probably all been tempted to give up when Christ's ways seem to be different than ours. But what this story is telling us is that if we are truly restored by Jesus, at the end of the day, however hard it is, we'll want to do His will. It's also important to notice that the request refused actually has a very positive purpose. Jesus says, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. You see, although the people at this point had rejected Christ, he hadn't forgotten them. It it wasn't impossible for them to hire a boat, cross the lake, see him again if they really wanted to find out more, but Jesus knew that the majority probably wouldn't consider doing that. And so he leaves behind an agent who has a personal experience of the power of Christ, who knows what God can do and who's not ashamed or afraid to talk about it. Now, it's always harder, isn't it, to be a witness for Jesus at home, where you live, where people know you 
best. It's always harder being a witness there than going to some far-off part of the world where no one knows you. But if you have discovered that he's the Lord and he's changed your life, then you don't really have any other option. Like this man, Jesus commissions you to go and tell everything that God has done for you. For the man in this story, it began right there on his doorstep, and that's where it begins for you and me too. When you go into the office tomorrow, the hospital, when you go into your workplace, wherever that might be, the mission field is there in front of you as you go in. When you walk down your street, the mission field is all around you. Maybe even when you go into your own home, you, you might be the only Christian there. That's your mission field. It's all around us. Right now, Jesus is commissioning you to tell the people around you what he's done for you. Some of you, maybe you'd plan to move away. If you're being honest, you didn't expect to still be here. And Jesus is saying, don't resent where you are. And whatever you do, don't put your life on hold. There's important work for you to do here. Please don't resist it. Now, I don't know where you're at this morning. But I believe there's something for you in this story. Maybe you've never been cured of your sin. You need to be forgiven. Maybe there are areas in your life that you think Christ can't control. And you need to give them into his hands and prove his power. Maybe he's confronting you about your fear or your greed about something else. Maybe he's calling and commissioning you to really be his witness. Just thrilled, by the way, that came through as we worshipped earlier. It's something Jesus is speaking to us. Something here for everyone. And so before we wrap this up, and there's some people here with some words of knowledge, some prophecies to encourage us. I want to give an opportunity for people to respond for prayer. But before we do any of that, I just want to give you a minute. Just sit quietly where you are and reflect on what you've just heard. And to be asking Jesus, what do you want me to take away from this? And maybe if you're writing notes, you just need to write something down. Okay, this is what I take away. If you've got a phone with you and you, you take notes on that, uh, just, just put it in. That This is what Jesus is speaking to me. If you've got a great memory, just kind of indelibly underline it in your mind. This is what Jesus is speaking to me about. Don't allow the enemy to snatch it away. There's something here for all of you. I just want to give you space to reflect on what that is. on what that is.